Financial Report. This committee is chaired by Auditor Timothy M. O'Brien. meeting to order. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the Independent Audit Committee meeting for July 21st of 2022. Uh, Edie, would you be kind enough to call the roll? Jack Blumenthal? Here. Lorraine Nath? Leslie Mitchell? Here. Rudy Payan? Here. Charles Scheib? Here. Edward Schultz? Here. And Tim O'Brien? Here. All right, thank you very much. Next item is a cybersecurity application security assessment. Minutes. Minutes? I don't have that on my agenda. But. Oh, there it is. Approval of minutes. <laughs> All right, is there a motion to approve the minutes from the June 16th meeting? I so move. Second. Thank you. Any discussion? All in favor say aye. 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 Okay. Uh, next item, coronavirus relief fund follow-up. Uh, Dawn, would you like to introduce the team? Um, sure. And Margaret, Margaret Danhauer. Am I pronouncing your name right? Dan User. Dan User. Phone um, phonetically, Dan User. <laughs> All right. <laughs> If you would like to join us, um, and after Dawn introduces our team, you, if you would like to introduce the people with you, and if you have any opening comments, that would be the appropriate time to do that. Hey, um, I'm Dawn Wiseman. I was the audit director on the engagement. Uh, the audit team for the follow-up engagement consisted of Todd Green, the audit manager, Ryan Barnes, the lead auditor, and we had two senior auditors working on it. We had Katie Beverlin and Megan Kelly. Margaret? Great. I am Margaret Danuser. I am the acting CFO as of this week. Um, <laughs> so I am joined here by my team um, that has been uh, working on the audit along with the uh, audit, audit team. And we want to thank you all for such a thorough job and um, really pleasant people to work with. So uh, thank you for, for all of that. But um, we really do take the recommendations to heart. That, that were provided for the coronavirus relief funds. These were federal funds that were provided to the city for emergency response purposes. And we uh, issued those funds out in phases and we had two primary, primary goals there. Um, urgency, we, we received these funds I believe in March, May 2020, uh, you know, right when things were really breaking for us. And we, we certainly knew that, that our community needed these funds um, for PPE purchases, for cleaning, for uh, all types of things. And um, also just to make sure that we were complying with the uh, guidance. And it was a little skimpy uh, when the funds first came to us, but we, we made sure that we were um, uh, being good stewards of these funds. So I would like to first introduce uh, Bill Rydell, our controller. I'm Jessica Chandler, Director of Accounting and Financial Reporting. And I'm Taylor Hines, uh, Accounting Manager. Good to see you again. And we also have Rory Regan with us, our Federal Grants Manager. Um, okay. 
Welcome and congratulations on your appointment. Uh, look forward to continuing to work with you. And Brian, should we take it away? I'll start real quick. Or Dawn. Yeah, first of all, I just wanna thank you uh, for your help and cooperation during the audit. I know the team um, got their requests quickly and, and things were responded to quickly, so we appreciate that and thank you very much for that as well. So before we get started, um, just, a, just a few words. Um, it is important for us to follow up on the audits that we do. It gives us an idea of what was implemented and what risks uh, we recommend or what risks linger when recommendations either are partially implemented or not implemented. So with the large amount of federal aid provided to the city through the CARES Act and other sources, uh, we want to make sure that there is a strong internal control environment for monitoring and spending the funds. This follow-up focused on some aspects of that environment, such as uh, sufficient documentation of spending and reconciliation of the fund balances and funds spent. So with that, I'm going to pass it over to the team to brief the audit. So I think, um, Katie, I'll go ahead and get us started. Great, thank you, Don. Okay. <clears throat> Starting on the highlights page of the follow-up report, in April 2020, the City and County of Denver received $126.9 million from the Coronavirus Relief Fund. Congress established the fund as part of the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act, to help territories, states, local governments, and tribal governments respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. The City's Department of Finance developed a phased plan to spend the funds. Denver's aid addressed a variety of community needs, including sheltering individuals experiencing homelessness. The CARES Act dictates how dollars from the Coronavirus Relief Fund may be spent. Specifically, it allows for necessary expenditures incurred because of the pandemic, expenditures not already accounted for in a budget approved before March 27, 2020, and expenditures made between March 1, 2020 and December 30, 2020. The original audit objective was to assess the city's compliance with the CARES Act, eligibility and documentation requirements for pandemic-related expenses in 2020 specifically those paid for, paid for through the Federal Coronavirus Relief Fund. Additionally, the audit objective was to evaluate the city's ability to identify eligible expenditures and monitor the rate of fund use and to assess city agencies' transparency with both city leadership and the public to ensure all funds awarded to the city are used before the deadline for eligible spending. The original audit scope was to review the city's planning, monitoring, reporting, and spending processes during 2020, and to evaluate coronavirus relief fund expenses against federal requirements and Denver's fiscal accountability rules. The time period originally under audit was March 2020 through December 2020. Highlights from the original audit found that some transactions were not documented appropriately in accordance with city fiscal rules, and that some transactions lacked supporting information showing how the expense was related to the pandemic. We found that the city failed to properly track interest for coronavirus relief funds, and that the bank reconciliations were not done as required for several months. Five recommendations were proposed to the Department of Finance in July 2021, with implementation dates between August to September of 2021, as shown on the Action Since Audit Report page and the individual recommendation page of the follow-up report. During our follow-up, we noted that one recommendation was fully implemented, while four recommendations were not implemented. Now I will pause for any comments from Department of Finance representatives. Thank you for that. I'm gonna turn it over to my colleagues, but I think you will hear us uh, uh, offer some um, evidence that we have 
partially implemented uh, the four that, that, that are listed as not implemented, but uh, recognize that, that um, we can always have room for improvement. So I turn it over to Bill. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think we, we can demonstrate that uh, of the four that were not fully implemented, that they are at this time fully implemented uh, from our perspective. So we're happy to have that, that ongoing conversation. Um, and even at the time of the follow-up, we think some of these were partially implemented. Uh, there, there seems to be a bit of a theme for a couple of them in that at the end of the year when we close the year, um, we, don't, it, we don't fully close the prior year until March. So we don't finalize our reconciliations until the year closes. So we're doing those reconciliations, but they're just not finalized. So when somebody came in to review whether those reconciliations had been complete, there was not a final sign-off because, again, the year hadn't closed, so we hadn't completed those reconciliations. But we're happy to provide more detail on, on any of the specific recommendations. Thank so you. Partially I implemented is partially not implemented, too, right? Correct, and I think at the Thank time you. of the follow-up, we've partially implemented, partially not implemented. I think uh, we, we can talk about how we feel these are fully implemented now. Okay, should we continue? Sure. Thank you. I will now continue with finding one. Our first finding from the original report was Excuse that... Me. Can I ask a I'd, <clears throat> I'd like a favor. <clears throat> As we're going through these not implemented items that are you claim are implemented now um, could we get a back and forth on each one of them between the auditors and the controller so that we get in frankly into the weeds to make sure that what's being said is acceptable to you because we don't have the detailed knowledge that you do, and I want to make sure that we really flush this out. Excuse me, Katie, for interrupting. No, you. no problem. <clears throat> Fair enough. Let's continue. Okay, uh, I'll just start that one over. Uh, our first finding from the original report was that the Department of Finance sufficiently managed the city's process for spending federal aid from the coronavirus relief fund, but it could offer better guidance to agencies on how to document individual transactions. Through our follow-up efforts for finding one, we found that the recommendation was fully implemented. As stated on page one of the follow-up report, we found that the Department of Finance fully implemented recommendation 1.1, which was to provide detailed guidance on supporting documentation. The department did this by reminding attendees at a citywide meeting of the city's federal funding committee to to include supporting documentation that would explain each transaction to comply with the city's fiscal rule for supporting documentation. Attendees were also referred to one of the city's fiscal rules that provides examples of what is and what is not appropriate supporting documentation for transactions. The Department of Finance also created a special COVID-19 justification form to document how a transaction relates to the pandemic, which agencies were instructed to attach to all coronavirus relief fund related transactions in Workday, the city's system of records. Furthermore, detailed guidance regarding the COVID-19 justification form and proper supporting documentation for coronavirus relief fund expenses were distributed to city agencies through the Financial Network email newsletter in July and September of 2021. 
The impacts of implementation for Recommendation 1.1 are that the Department of Finance is ensuring that they are complying with the U.S. Treasury's guidance as well as the City's Fiscal Accountability Rule 2.5 by providing detailed guidance on how agencies should substantiate pandemic-related transactions. Now I will pause for any comments from the Department of Finance representatives. Comments? Uh, none. We, we appreciate the acknowledgement and the fine work that uh, Roy Regan has done to, to make sure that we were uh, in full compliance there. Thanks. Now I would like to turn it over to Ryan to start presenting our follow-up results on finding two. So I'll present the ones that we found were not implemented, and I'll go through and we'll stop after the first two and then go to the next two, which are uh, how they relate to each other. Um, finding two was the Department of Finance failed to properly track and review interest for coronavirus relief funds and begins on page three of the report. There were four recommendations for finding two, and our follow-up work determined that none were implemented. Recommendation 2.1 was for the department to cross-train and rotate employee job functions. Recommendation 2.2 was to monitor and ensure bank reconciliations are performed monthly. Recommendation 2.3 was to implement procedures to post earned interest. And recommendation 2.4 was to monitor interest earned on grant funds received. As a result of not implementing these recommendations, the department remains susceptible to significant financial risks. City Fiscal Accountability Rule 2.4 requires cross-training of employees to ensure continuity of performance in the event of employee illness, vacation, or termination. Our follow-up work found that the city has not developed a plan to rotate duties and that cross-training was performed for just six of the 22 reconciliations being performed by the department. This leaves the department at risk of continuity of these crucial tasks in the event that the assigned employee is unable to perform the duties. Our work also found that the department's bank reconciliation process does not detect when reconciliations are not performed and further found that some reconciliations were not completed for two months or more after month end. Furthermore, the process does not require that reviewers verify and sign off on reconciliations, on reconciliations that are complete and as called for in their recommendation. We found that some of the reconciliations had not been reviewed for four months or more after month end. Bank reconciliations are a critical control to ensure that bank activity is accurate and is essential for detecting instances of fraud and accounting errors. I'll pause there after talking about 2.1, 2.2 and give the uh, department a chance to comment before moving on. We appreciated the uh, original finding there. We had a lot of uh, employee turnover uh, at the time. Um, and needed to do some work to, to do some cross-training there, but I'm gonna turn it over to Bill to talk how we specifically address that. Thank you. So uh, you likely seen the documentation that we have all of the reconciliations listed out. Each of the reconciliations is assigned a primary person responsible for it, as well as a backup. Uh, and we have that for every single reconciliation that we do. Uh, we also, all of the backups have been trained. They've either done it previously or we have it documented when they were trained on those specific reconciliations. And to the, to the missing reconciliations, that goes back to the topic I mentioned at the beginning of this meeting, that we're not doing a final sign-off on some months until we've closed the year, but during that time, we are, we are still performing the reconciliation. So one of the things we're gonna do is document our progress as we go before we have that, that final sign-off. Comments from the committee? Jack? No, I'm, I just wanna make sure <clears throat> Ryan, as you're going through this, the, the responses are in accordance 
with what your findings are. Bill, you said that you will document this in the future. Does that mean you're not documenting it now? So we are documenting when the reconciliations are signed off on, but what the January and February reconciliations, when they went to review those, we didn't have a, a sign off on those. And that's where it showed the reconciliations hadn't been done, but they had in fact been done, they just hadn't been signed off on. We didn't have evidence that they had, they had been reviewed and signed off on. So what we will be implementing, and we haven't done this part yet, is we will document our progress throughout those two months before we have final sign off. But we are throughout that month, we're reconciling because it would be too big of task to try to reconcile three months at once. So we are reconciling as we go. But again, until we get that final balance, we can't sign off and say this reconciliation is complete. Right. Jack. Um, Bill, I, I do have this question. I, I'm, I, I haven't done a bank rec any kind of reconciliations in decades. What? <laughs> I don't reconcile my, my checking account. But, but it's my money to lose. But um, in terms of getting sign-off when somebody does it, <clears throat> it, it strikes me that that's not a very time-consuming job. And so it would seem to me that when somebody's done the reconciliation, reviewing it and signing it off are relatively labor not labor intensive. And so I'm having a hard time understanding why one would allow reconciliations to occur and not have them sign off fairly shortly after having been done. I mean, just, I, I, unless I'm missing something. No, I, I, I think you're right. And, oh, please. Yeah, sorry, I'll just speak to this just because I work closely with this. Um, so part of our reconciliation process is that we have to have a screenshot of the trial balance saying that it agrees to work day, our financial system of record. And so until we close December 31st, you know, that's your beginning balance for January 1st, which then flows into your ending balance for January 31st, and it just all kind of flows. So you have to wait until December 31st is closed so that then it closes January, February, and March. And we can put that trial balance screenshot in, which is our final test in the reconciliation, saying that the reconciliation we performed does agree to our trial balance and is the final sign-off. So as soon as we closed the books, we were able to finish. You're right, it's not a very intensive process. So the team had been doing the reconciliation month after month, but we had to wait till the books closed to do the final trial balance screenshot, and then all these were reviewed within probably two or three days of each other, because you can very quickly go through them. And so what Bill was mentioning is that maybe next year, what we can do to, we can you know do kind of like a soft sign off, like yes, this is um, reconciled right now, but we do need to see that final TV screenshot once the books are closed at the end of March. And so I think that's what we'll implement next year is like a soft sign off and then a full sign off once the books are closed. Would you say then Brian, this, this problem Brian, is more? Think? Is, this, is, is this problem more pronounced than at the year end? Is that when this yeah, tends to crop it'll up most of the time? Yeah, it'll be the same problem every right. year um, during the first three months of the quarter, the beginning of the year. So we will implement the soft sign-off going forward. It's yeah, because kind of I, I would assume you shouldn't be waiting three months to get a soft sign-off in between, or. Well, I, I guess just our final sign-off right is saying that yes, this agrees to the trial balance, and so if the trial balance isn't closed, it's kind of hard to just like put that wreck away and be done with it because we do want to ensure it agrees 
So um, they, they were being performed, but they were not being like reviewed until after the books closed. Rudy? Bill, I have a question for you in terms of recommendation 2.1. <clears throat> Given that you have some staff shortages or staff turnover that you had, what are your plans to cross-train your staff so that you have back in the appropriate roles? Yeah, that's a great question. So at, at the time of the initial audit is when we were having some uh, turnover issues. So we're fully staffed now. We've got the new folks on board. The new folks have all been trained. So again, every, we have a primary and a backup for every reconciliation, and then we have documentation that those backups have either done the reconciliation before or that they've been trained on it. Thank you, sir. Shall um, I continue? Yes, if there's no other comments, we'll go back to the, the uh, effects of non-implementation of 2.3 and 2.4. Um, recommendations 2.3 and 2.4 relate to posting and tracking interest earned on funds received by the city. While the department developed several process steps to address recommendation 2.3, the steps do not verify that interest is posted monthly as was required by the recommendation. As a result, our follow-up work as of April 24th, 2022, found that none of the grants with an interest posting requirement had posted, had posted interest since December 2021. The steps developed by the department also do not specify who to notify when grant earnings are posted. As a result, recommendation 2.4 to monitor interest on grants is impaired. The department also did not implement any alternative procedures for grant managers to seek out this information if it is not actively provided. As a result of not implementing these procedures, the city is at risk of not following grant requirements if money must be, earned, must be used by a certain date and interest earnings are unknown. The department is also unable to accurately monitor grant earnings. And I'll again turn it over to the department and the committee for comments. Bill? <clears throat> There's a similar issue with this with timing. So going into sample January, February, March, um, the interest earnings, we take the average of the ending monthly balance. So for those three months, we're not going to have it until the year closes. So it, it may look like we're not posting that interest, but again, for the first three months, we're waiting for that year to close so we can get those averages and then we, and then we can post them. Uh, as far as the review on that, we do have, um, we do that review also. I think there, you know, if we're, if it's not showing that those were done, then the conclusion could be drawn that we're not doing the review, but that review is being done every month. Uh, and then in addition, um, one thing since the follow-up that we're going to implement is making sure we're notifying the grant managers appropriately. Um, those folks might change. So we are just going to start sending communications out to every single grant manager across the city and doing follow-up there. There are no further comments that will conclude our presentation on the coronavirus relief funds. Any other comments? Any comments from the committee? You know what puzzles me about this? This is cash, right? I mean, cash doesn't change at December 31st to March 31st. The December 31st number is the December 31st number. And, and the interest, those aren't estimates. That's a known number. I don't understand why, you know, the, the timing difference that we're talking about, the lack of reconciliations, or as you want to call it, a timing difference on reconciliations. Yeah, no, that's a fair question. I think th you're right, the cash is in. There, there could be a delay on some of the cash coming in, depending on the type of grant, if it's a reimbursement grant. And then also it has to be posted to the, to the proper fund. 
you want? Yeah, so that's the big thing. Um, so a lot of these, you know, we get money in and then the agency has to claim it, right? So they have to go in and book a journal and move it to their fund. So even though like we have the cash number, they have to move it to their appropriate fund, which sometimes takes time, right? Like um, they could get funding that is off, you know, $100 from an invoice and that chart like makes a lot of um, discrepancies and they have to go through and like redo things in workday. So it's not always a simple, smooth process. So we're waiting on them, the agencies, to process their cash to their funds. And then in addition, um, that interest earnings, so we take the average of the fund balance. So if they're still making journals, right, their fund balance could be changing from January 1st to January 31st. So we wait until the books are closed and because we don't want to tell an agency they're getting this much interest and then their fund balance change and we have to take it away. So we want to wait until they finalize all their transactions for the year so that we can um, tell them the appropriate interest that they're receiving. So you're saying that if you <clears throat> monitor and post at the interest during, the, during that time, it would be, uh, it, there's potentially could be off in terms of, so you have to wait that three months in order to reconcile appropriately. Mike, is that? We could, I mean, we could like post it. Yeah, plug a number in there. But then we're gonna have to undo it and once it's finalized. And so, you know, we don't wanna be giving an agency a wrong number thinking that they have a certain number of interest when it's just they haven't processed all their December transactions. Okay. Yet. So I think this was an odd timeline, right? Is that, you know, unfortunately the time in this audit was right when we were closing the book. So, you know, the first quarter is always very hard, but I think if you looked at any other months, we would have covered off on this. But that adjustment wouldn't be that great, would it? I mean, in terms of the three months, I mean, if you, if you do it month to month and then, or, or post awaiting, the number's pretty much similar, isn't it? Or am I? Well, because you're doing an average fund balance. So, you know, if your numbers change in January, it affects February and March because the ending balance of one month is the beginning balance of the other and you're doing the average. And it is a lot of work to, you know, okay. comp compute this for every single fund and which ones are interest bearing. So it would just be a lot of extra work for our, you know, our staff to do it and then undo it and then redo it again. So we don't do that process. We typically just wait until the books are closed so that we're making sure we're giving the agencies accurate numbers. Um, are, all, are all your agencies using Workday functionality to manage grants? And are they well versed on how to use that? I mean, there's always ways to improve that, of course. Um, we're definitely better off than when we went live with Workday. Um, so I think that, yeah, yeah, we can, we are always working with agencies. I mean, there's emails coming in every day asking questions and us helping them through stuff. Um, and we're talking, um, you know, we can improve your in training and we can improve other other training. So yeah, I mean, I believe so, but yeah, mm -hmm. there's always, and there's always new, new hires coming on with, within the agencies that, that could also use additional training. So I think that's an ongoing, for sure, an ongoing effort that we mm -hmm. could always improve upon. Yeah. What's the communication like from the agencies, like when they do get somebody new to grants, is that a is that a proactive communication to your organization or is it kind of a hit and miss to try it's and find those? probably a little hit and miss. I think it probably depends on who's left, left it within that agency on whether they would be training um, those individuals, right? If they would be having cross-training with, within their agencies, um, but with that said, I'm sure we've had agencies reach out with help if they've, I mean, I think as we've seen throughout the city, right, there's some departments that have been completely <laughs> starting over. So um, it's probably both. Okay, thank you. I'll just add that uh, Rory and his team have done a lot of just sort of basic in infrastructure around grants and um, really beefed up 
trainings, um, online, we took video trainings of you know how, how to do things. And so we have recognized that, that we had some work to do. And, and thanks to Rory and the controller's office, I think we, we've come a long way in the last year. <clears throat> Any other questions from the committee? Thank you very much. I appreciate your attending and your responses. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our next agenda item is a report on cybersecurity application security. All right, thank you very much. Uh, Dawn, would you like to introduce uh, the staff, including our partners from CP? Sure. Um, I'm Dawn Wise, and I was also the director on this audit engagement, so I'm going to pass it over to Jared. He is prepared to introduce his team and the third party and get this briefing started. Good morning, uh, my name is Jared Miller and I am the Information uh, Systems Audit Manager for the Denver Auditor's Office. Uh, joining me today to discuss the information in our cybersecurity report are our team members from CP Cyber. Uh, CP Cyber is a firm that we have done a lot of work with over the years, so I just wanna hand it over to Bill to introduce his team. Hello, Bill Everett, partner, CP Cyber. Uh, to my right here is uh, Donald McLaughlin, um, lead consultant on this particular engagement. Uh, Brian, over here as well, helped out with uh, this engagement. Thank you. Okay. Um, Chad, do you want to introduce yourself and the members of technology services here with you? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Um, and let me just start by committee, uh, Auditor O'Brien, um, all the audit team, and C uh, CB Cyber. Thank you very much uh, for the work and the time you put into this. Um, <clears throat> the findings are important. Obviously, we're talking about cybersecurity. Um, I think we spend most of our life in TS right now talking about nothing but cybersecurity. Uh, so the assistance, the support, and the, and the help is greatly appreciated. So I am Chad Mitchell. I'm the city's chief application officer. I think normally you guys would expect to see Paul Kresser here, but he is not in the country, so you get me. Um, <laughs> and I will let the rest of the team introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Judy Bonato. I'm the, <clears throat> excuse me, the manager of operations for Treasury, and I'm addressing just um, one of the recommendations. And I'm Don Cordy, Director of Tax Compliance with Treasury, and I'm addressing the same item that Judy is. All right, let's continue. Okay, can you hear me okay? Okay. Um, so on behalf of the Denver Auditor's Office, CB Cyber conducted a cybersecurity assessment of an agency, um, the Treasury, um, and the City and County of Denver. The assessment found some areas of strengths and some areas um, that need improvement. Because of the information security sensitivities involved with this assessment, um, we've communicated these issues directly to um, the agency um, for its remediation. Um, so it, the 
We're gonna talk about application security today. And so the background of that is due to the services that the city provides, applications often need to be publicly facing, uh, meaning accessible from the internet, from anywhere. Um, but they often house sensitive, personally identifiable information, um, such as you know your, your phone number, um, social security numbers, credit cards, like payments, taxes, all that, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and that information needs to be protected. Um, information security professionals understand that uh, attempted attacks happen constantly um, in, this, in today's world. Uh, these attacks try to take advantage of some common vulnerabilities, uh, default configurations and systems, um, and weak passwords. This makes security assessments, um, like a web application security assessment, um, increasingly important. Um, and in order to do that, we have to look at controls and frameworks. Um, and so um, let's go to application security. Um, controls are necessary to protect data um, when it comes to anything really, because we have to have a standard. Web application assessments, um, this particular one, um, one way to do a web application assessment is both manual and automated testing um, that identify vulnerabilities, security flaws, and threats to web applications. Uh, with so many vulnerabilities, um, security um, professionals use frameworks to test, such as the Open Web Application Security Project, or OWASP. Um, and this framework provides a roadmap for testing. So it says here's the you know, top 10, top 15 um, vulnerabilities that you need to look for, and you need to make sure that um, you know, there, there's very little risk here, or, or very little vulnerabilities. Um, and then it's crucial to test and validate these common attack scenarios. And so using these frameworks, um, it really helps to do that. Um, other frameworks that um, can be used to help secure web applications is the Open Application Security Project. Um, it's less robust and it isn't as updated as the OWASP framework, um, but it still provides some valuable input. Another relevant framework for this is the National Institute of Standards and Technology that can be used. Um, this provides a general roadmap to security that can be used to help uh, implement security and for agencies to, to take a look internally and make sure that you know, they're following what the, the guidelines say and the, the recommendations there say. Any questions over web application and the process? the importance of doing assessments. I have a general question, because <clears throat> I was reading the report and it does says that <clears throat> we're vulnerable in terms of penetration in the sense that you could have an open, uh, open website such as read only, but yet that would still make you vulnerable potentially for someone else to use that in order to penetrate. Can you expound on that a little bit? Because I found that, because there would be a wall there in my head and I'm trying to envision how can someone extract just that basic information so that they allow them to penetrate through the system. Yeah, so there's, um, this is why security is so difficult to defend against uh, and attacks are difficult because there's so many different things that, that can happen and go wrong. 
So in this case, you know, if there's a web page that's read-only that you can see and there's sensitive information there, say the admin username, um, then they have a starting point to say, okay, we're gonna take this admin username, we're gonna try some passwords against it, and if it's weak, we're gonna get in. Otherwise, they wouldn't know the admin username, and so it would make it much more difficult for them to actually you know, target the admin account for that. And the same goes for you know, the version type of the, the technology in use. If they know that version type, they know it's vulnerable, they're going to attack it. Um, and so preventing as much information to, like, to the eyes of the attacker is very important as well. The reason I bring that up, because personally, the other day I got a, a th something from uh, Google saying, is this your phone number and we want to verify it? And immediately I just deleted it. But it just gets back to just a simple, simple piece of information about yourself could trigger some vulnerability. And that's why I wanted you to expound on that without getting into the sensitive nature of, of this finding. Yeah, and um, for that case, you know, we, it, automated attacks are, are what's happening right now. Is, you know, if these automated attacks go out and they try to hit as much, as many as they can, and then if that attack shows interest that maybe they could, you know, get in somehow and compromise something, then they're going to manually target and really look into it. And so the idea behind this is first we look at, you know, all of the simple low-hanging fruit and say, okay, is all this taken care of? Because if this is identified, now you've become a target, and that's what you don't want. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Any comments from tech services? No? No, it's uh, cybersecurity has a very difficult job, and, and they nailed it pretty well. Um, it is, uh, it's difficult. I would say the cybersecurity industry is always playing catch-up. Um, you can prevent the things you know about, but there are hundreds of thousands of people that spend nothing but their time trying to figure out how to come up with the next thing, and nobody can do anything about it until somebody's exploited it once. So, always a vulnerability there. Yeah. And we're constantly battling large operations overseas, even you know on U.S. soil, that they're, all they do is hack all day long, and they're not going to tell you yet this this vulnerability exists because they want to use it to to profit. So it's increasingly difficult to keep things secure. Is there a labor shortage among hackers? That, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for. For really good ones, um, yes. And then, you know, you have different levels. So you have some that are, you know, really good at coding and, you know, they can use the tools that are there. And then you have researchers that try to find new ones. And, you know, those are, you know, essentially, you know, engineers, very, very intelligent people that, you know, try to reverse engineer things. Todd, could I ask you a question? Is it more of a threat interna um, internationally or domestically in terms of all, in terms of these attacks or perceived attacks? <sighs> I mean, Depen just, yeah, yeah it depends on who you talk to because, you know, it, the United States compliance regulations and, and things are um, somewhat behind. Um, and so it, it makes anyone here vulnerable. So okay. if a company doesn't want to spend the money, nothing's telling them they have to other than the consequence of, you know, breach response and the, and the cost of that. Um, you know, some countries have more stringent um, compliance and, uh, network monitoring. Uh, I mean, if you look at China, they monitor their entire network um, and watch everything coming in and out. So, 
um, they're much more secure, but obviously, you know, we can't do that here. It's a different, it's, it's a different, you know, government, um, you know. So it's, it just depends on where you're at and, you know, the organization that you're, that you're trying to target and who's more secure. Thanks. Okay, does that conclude our application security assessment? Yes. All right. Thank you very much. Is this where we go into executive session? Okay, under general business, our next meeting will be Thursday, August 25th, here in the Par Widener Room. Um, with that, I'd like to ask for a motion to go into executive session to talk about some sensitive issues, ongoing audit, uh, things that don't belong in the public domain quite yet. So, so move. thank you. Second. Any discussion? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? All right, we are in executive session as soon as that green light goes out. with the contingent of Denver Health that is assigned to do health care for the folks that are in our custody. It's the reason that Carmen Casadley is here today uh, in support of us because she understands how important the audit committee's findings are and the work that we have to do together is. With Laura Walker working with the Department of Safety and the folks at Denver Health, I'm cautiously optimistic that we will be able to come to a reasonable agreement about what we're going to do with electronic health records. Uh, this model exists in other jails across the nation. And we have good folks inside of our agency that have a history of transitioning from paper records to uh, electronic medical records to include Chief Line who has done this and other agencies and is a, a auditor for the Commission on Accreditation for Law Enforcement Agencies. So with all the folks that we have inside of our agency along with 